Well, as we get started on this series in Proverbs, I want to get us thinking a little bit about life. And, uh, you know, as we wake up every morning, it's easy to just to kind of go through life and not understand the full significance of what God's given us on this earth. And so I want us to think about the spheres we enter into each and every day, family, relationships, work, and resources, and all the situations, decisions that come up in those places. And so I want to quantify it for you a little bit, and I want to, and I want to start by thinking about time, the amount of time that we have. Most of us feel like we don't have that much time, at least, at least to get done the stuff we want to. And so let me throw a stat out there for you. So if you just take the years from ages 18 to 78, which is the average life expectancy, that's about 60 years, when you take out, if you take those 60 years, you take all that time, you take out eight hours of sleep every night, which I don't, I'm not going to get a raise of hands on how many people get eight hours of sleep every night, or 50, and, and then take out 50 hours of work per week, the average American at that point would have 193,000 hours to deal with, to make decisions about, figure out how to use, or 11.6 million minutes after they turn 18. So again, that's after work, after sleep. That's what we got at our disposal. Now think, think about it in terms of relationships. So the average American will know 600 people and have a circle of influence of 180 in their lifetime. It's family, coworkers, neighbors, acquaintances. That's a lot of relationships, a lot of situations. Think about money. The average American with a bachelor's degree will earn $1.8 in their lifetime. What do you do with it? How do you think about it? Think about where we live. The average American will have five different homes in their lifetime. And then you think about jobs. The average American will have 12 to 15 jobs over their lifetime. And so if you think about all of those spheres, all of those jobs, the homes, the relationships, think about how many situations, decisions we have where we don't necessarily know what to do. And here's what's interesting is that the majority of those fears, the decisions you face every day in those fears aren't necessarily moral decisions that there's a specific command in the Bible that speaks to. And so here we have all these situations, all these people, all these resources, all this time. How do we navigate it? And the amazing thing is that God in his goodness hasn't left us alone. He's given us a book, the book of Proverbs, that speaks to on-the-ground living and wisdom and a pathway on how we navigate all these different things we encounter. And this is why we're beginning a journey together through the book of Proverbs on Sunday morning. And so I want to, before we dive into what we're going to talk about today, I just want to get two thoughts out there for you, just, to, just on how we're going to approach this book. And one of the approaches is in light of the purpose of this book. So uh, one of the reasons that this book was originally compiled by King Solomon was to guide his sons in preparing for royalty. In 1 Kings uh, 3, God granted his request, one request for wisdom, and God made him the most wise in all his land. And, and it was pretty common for all the surrounding nations to compile books of wisdom to teach their people on how to live and, and a pathway for living in, this, in their world. Well, Solomon wanted to do the same thing, not just for his people, but as for his sons to prepare them to lead in royalty. And so there was lots of competing voices. Solomon wrote this to woo his people to a different pathway. And so it's interesting. Isn't that a very similar place that we gather ourselves? Are there lots of competing voices of wisdom all around us? And so we gather on Sundays to work through this book of wisdom because we want to wrestle with what really is the pathway of wisdom. We hear a lot of different things in the spaces we find ourselves in throughout the week, but we want to wrestle with what God says. And we want to think about that. And so it's one of the reasons why we're encouraging you to get in a connect group because we want you to talk about that. 
to discuss it, to hear from one another. And we want us all to come with a posture of wrestling with God. How do you want us to respond? What's it look like to live with wisdom in our everyday life? And so we want to approach it in light of its person. We also want to approach it in light of its theme. So we're going to go through Proverbs a little differently than we go through most books of the Bible. Most books we go through chapter by chapter. We're not going to do that with Proverbs, partly because of the structure of Proverbs. So the first nine chapters are mainly longer passages that that Solomon wrote to woo you to the life of wisdom. And in chapter, there's kind of a definitive mark from chapters 10 on through 31, and this is where you get those little short, pithy, memorable statements about different things and different resources in life. And, uh, and so if we would go through chapter by chapter, one, it'd be really tough because you'd be preaching on the same things over and over and over again every week. There's so much repetition. So we're going to take it thematically. We're going to address what are the themes of life that Proverbs deal with. So you can see some of these themes up on the screen there. Uh, work, relationships, conflict, words, uh, money, sex, all these things Proverbs deal with in everyday life to give us a pathway on what it looks like to wrestle through life in these things. So this is where we're going all, all this semester, and so I'm excited about that. But for this morning, where are we starting? The big picture of what we want to see, and you'll see it on the screen, and what I'm going to pray for us that we'll gain this morning is that true wisdom is a pathway that is centered on our King and Father. That true wisdom is not a set of answers, it's a pathway. And that pathway is centered on our King and Father. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today, and uh, I'll be the first to acknowledge that there's a lot of foolishness in my life. And as I face all these different areas of arenas of life, I need wisdom. And the reality is, is that every one of us coming in this morning needs that very thing. And so we come before you needy. We don't come here to offer our church attendance or offer our Bible reading or our morality to you. We come before you as a people that's broken, that's needy, and that wants to see you. And so would you do something that we have no power to do, and that's to make your word come alive to us this morning. Would you meet us here? Would you help us understand that wisdom is a pathway? Would you help us to understand what it means that it's centered on you? And no matter how each one of us is coming in, would you meet us this morning? Amen. So we're going to begin with this idea that we need a pathway of wisdom. And what we see in these first really six verses of Proverbs, that that Proverbs is setting out to give us a pathway. So let's read these, and they'll be with you on the screen as well. So the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, that's setting out who's compiling this uh, set of wisdom for us. And he gives some purposes here, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive wisdom or instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. So obviously, if we're going to tackle a book of wisdom, we've got to ask what wisdom is. But if you go to Proverbs to define wisdom, it gets a little tricky. And I don't know about you, when I, at least when I was studying this, for the, if you're with us in the Connect groups looking over day one here, I was a little bit overwhelmed with all these words. What in the world do these mean? I don't use half of them in my everyday life. And like, what, 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 what is wisdom when you come through all this? And so, uh, and, and it, because Proverbs doesn't give you a clean cut definition, rather it gives you a family of words and a family of ideas that are all connected that paint a picture. And as you look closely, there's a collection of words that are all connected to our daily living. You've got words like instruction in here, which is in the Hebrew would be training with a sense of correction. 
You got wise dealing, which is more about good practical sense, which what we would say would be everyday common sense. You got these words prudence and discretion, which is knowing and planning a path. There's going to be more words that come, we come in line, we will come across, but two of the cornerstone words that you get specifically all throughout Proverbs is the words knowledge and wisdom, right? So knowledge here in, in, this, in this setting is, is focusing on a correct understanding of the world and oneself as creatures of the magnificent and loving God. So how do we understand the world from God's perspective? And then wisdom more is this specific skill of applying that knowledge rightly. It's skill in the art of godly living. So that's a good base definition, but there's more to it. There's more to wisdom than just the idea of a skill. And that's why Solomon is giving all these sorts of words to help us understand all the different angles on what it looks like to live out this pathway of wisdom. I was thinking about analogy, and there's some couple different things that, that in my study that came up. And one was the idea of a prism. So uh, I, I was a science major, but I'm really embarrassed by how much I know about science right now. So I'm going to speak very generally about what a prism does, and I'm sure I'm wrong on some levels of it. But the idea is that a prism, there's a beam of light comes through, and the prism breaks that up and shows you all the different aspects of light. Well, in some senses, that's what we're getting here in these first uh, few verses of, of Proverbs, that you can think of the pathway of wisdom that Proverbs speaks of as this beam of light. And it goes through this prism and it breaks it up to show us all these different angles and aspects. And so when we talk about all these words of instruction, of wise dealing, of knowledge, discretion, all these things are different aspects that make up this pathway of wisdom. And so this is going to come up a lot through Proverbs. So it's just helpful to think about all these different words not being totally separate things, but all that give you an angle of what this pathway of wisdom is. And I want us to see that wisdom from Proverbs' perspective is not a set of answers, but it is a pathway. And so specifically, these first nine chapters of Proverbs describe wisdom as a path to follow. Nineteen times the idea of a path is referred to in these first nine chapters. And all these different words give us angles of that pathway. And the point I think that Proverbs is wanting to get, get across to you is you, desperate, you and I desperately need wisdom on this pathway. We desperately need it. I mean, I'm just sure to think, think about all the stages of life that we're in, from the youngest to the oldest, and just a few questions that come up on how do you handle these situations. So as a child, how do you handle the bully on the playground, right? As a teen, how do you relate to drama amongst my friend group? I'm sure that doesn't happen to any teenagers in our group here. As an adult, do I save money, invest it, or give more away? I'm sure you guys don't wrestle with that, right? As a parent, do you give consequences to every act of disobedience? I don't know about your home, but there's a lot of acts of disobedience. And if you do, what, do you, what consequences do you give? As a friend, how do you approach your friend stuck in struggles? As an employee, how do you relate to your boss who's frustrated with you with the results of a project? Or if you manage employees, how do you deal with underperforming employees? If you find yourself as an empty nester, an empty home, maybe, maybe more retired, what does it look like to invest that season of your life? What should be the focus? I think we face all these things, and we want hard and fast answers. And, I, and I, what I want to tell you is that Proverbs doesn't give you hard and fast answers to them. There are way too many variables to every one of those questions for anybody to give you an algorithm that's going to give you the answer to those things. Wisdom is not an algorithm. It's a pathway that God wants to set out for us to help us navigate all these life circumstances. But if you're a discerning individual and you're sitting here this morning, you ought to ask the question, why should I trust the pathway of wisdom in the Proverbs, right? There's a lot of competing voices of wisdom in our culture. 
Why is the voice of Proverbs any better than what my favorite therapist or writer says or an influencer on TikTok, what they post, or what your friends think? And to answer that question, we've got to think about the reference point or the foundation or the beginning point of wisdom, which brings us into the key verses of our passage. So let's look at Proverbs 1-7 and Proverbs 9-10. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. I want you to think for a minute. You've got this phrase here, the beginning point, or the foundation is the way to think about that. Not like beginning like a race that you're starting and you move past it, but more the foundation or the reference point of knowledge and wisdom. How would you fill, how would you fill in this blank? Blank is the beginning and the foundation of knowledge and wisdom. Think about that. If you were to go out and survey your coworkers or the people around where you live, how would they fill in that, that blank? Would you put in there whatever seems right to me and makes life works for me? That's the beginning point of knowledge and wisdom or maybe the lightest scientific studies or a good set of morals or what a certain respected leader says or the Bible. The point is, is that what you put in that blank is the reference point for how you understand the world. That's what it's getting at there. And your reference point will greatly affect what you think is wise and is greatly going to influence how you would relate to the pathway of wisdom that Proverbs points out. All wisdom is not created equal. Depending on your reference point or the foundation of that wisdom, it may or may not be legit, and it may or may not hold up to all of the weight of life situations and responses. And what I want us to do is to dig into two aspects of this reference point for the pathway of true wisdom in Proverbs. And I think and these are going to be the launching point with us for the rest of the series on Proverbs. And so the first one I want to point out here is this reference point for the pathway of true wisdom is the Lord. Now, that may seem kind of obvious, but I want to break that down a little bit for you. And so you can see on the screen there what, that what makes this pathway of wisdom in Proverbs unique is its beginning or foundation. And what it says here, it says the fear of the Lord, and that's Lord in uh, all caps. So that's not the writer trying to, you know, like you're sending a text message and you do all caps because you're yelling it. That's not what that is. But if you're reading your Bible and you see Lord there with all caps, I mean, how, how are you not supposed to know what it, it means? Well, that in Hebrew, that's signifying a different... Uh, name for God than if you just had Lord with capital L and that was it. And it was the specific Hebrew name for God. That was just for the Israelites that distinguished their God from all the other surrounding deities. And it was a name given to the Israelites specifically to Moses. When he came to Moses, he said, I'm going to rescue my people from slavery in Egypt. I'm going to bring them out of bondage. And I'm going to keep my covenant that I made with them, with your forefathers, Abraham. And so this name would have been something that would have reminded the Israelites of how God thinks about them, how he cares for them, how he's their rescuer, how he's the God who will always follow through with his promises. That's what it would come to mind. And so what difference does this make that this is in Proverbs 1-7? It's because it's his character and what he's done ought to flavor how we receive Proverbs. What do I mean by that? It ought to really flavor. So when we move forward in Proverbs, we ought to think about it a different way because of this name of God that comes at the beginning. We don't receive this book of wisdom as just another idea. It's from our creator, the one true God. So we receive it as 
precious insight into how he made the world. We don't receive this pathway of wisdom as some formulaic or mechanical set of principles that make life work. Make life work. We receive it from our King and Father. The book of Proverbs says he's coming after you and I. He wants us to flourish in this world he's made. He wants us to protect us from the path of foolishness. He wants us to see more of who he is in this world. I mean, even just the original context, King Solomon given to his sons, why would he give it to them? Because he loved them and wanted them to flourish. So when we go through Proverbs, that's how we receive it, is God, who is our King and Father, who loves us and wants us to flourish in this world. In all these arenas of life we come in contact with. That all caps matters here. It's telling us that. But we also don't receive this pathway of wisdom as this checklist so that if we do these things, God will like us. We receive it by grace. We didn't earn the right to this wisdom. We aren't granted access to this wisdom because we're spiritual gurus or we come to church or read our Bible. The Israelites received this book as the one who rescued them from slavery. And so I want you to think about us. We're receiving this book the other side of the cross. And so this name even has a greater significance for us. God didn't just rescue the, he rescued the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. He would eventually rescue us all from slavery to sin through the sacrifice of his son. God is committed to us. He's not giving you this book to get you to do the right things to like him so that he'll like you more. He gave you this book. He's already given you his favor. And he's saying, because of my favor, I want to give you a pathway for wisdom on how to navigate all that life's going to bring you. That's the picture here that he grants this book of wisdom by grace, not to earn his favor, but because we have his favor. That's the first thing about this reference points that matters as we're moving forward. As you face difficult things, as you study the book of Proverbs, you've got to remember who this is coming from. But it also says here that the fear of the Lord how we relate to him as our king and father, our posture before him is the foundation of the wisdom. That's the other aspect of this reference point. The central, it's, it's central for understanding Proverbs is that the fear of the Lord is the foundation. Not just the Lord, but the fear of the Lord. So what does the fear of the Lord mean? Well, again, in our culture, when we use the word fear, we typically are like, I'm scared of spiders, right? Or I'm scared of, you name it, car wrecks or whatever the case may be. And when you think, if that's the context of fear here, it would be, Oh, I'm terrified God's going to pounce on me if I mess up. And it's easy to have that kind of thought about God. But that's not the type of fear here. Again, remember, what name of the Lord are we using here? He's the God who rescued them, who loves them, who come after them. He's not trying to pounce on them. But this fear also in the Old Testament is a sense of reverence, a sense of humility before God. Jerry Bridges says it like this, author and ministry leader says, The fear of the Lord is that affectionate reverence by which the child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his father's law. So it's a sense of reverence and humility before God, a joyful awe. It's, it's saying, God, you're king, I'm not. And there's a sense where that's hard, but it's also beautiful because there is someone who is in, in charge of this world and who rules all things. And, and I'm humbled in your presence because of that. And my reference point of life is that I'm not king, you are. That's a part of what we see here in this fear. But it's also a sense of joy that you're this king, but you've come to me and want to bring me into relationship with you and want to relate to me as a father relates to a son or a daughter. And so there's a sense of intimacy there. And you put those together, it's really a joyful awe. 
A joyful awe is the, frame, is the reference point for understanding this pathway of wisdom. I've got a phrase on this next slide here that I think is important that we've got to understand. And I want to break this down, give you an analogy, give you some examples to help us understand this, because this is going to be the reference point as we move forward. Joyful awe is the right response to our King and Father. That's the right response to who He is. And this becomes the central driving factor in understanding and loving this pathway of wisdom. So joyful awe is kind of the set of lenses that enable us to see this pathway of wisdom. It's kind of the engine that, that motivates us. And so this pathway of wisdom that Proverbs lays out makes sense, and you will want it to live it out if joyful awe is central in your heart and your life. Because this world is radically centered on God, and He created this world to function a certain way, and unless we're relating to Him rightly, it won't make sense. This comes into more clear account when you think about the second part of that phrase. It says, fools despise wisdom and structure. Why would they despise wisdom instruction? Well, foolishness in the Bible is not how we, again, typically use foolishness. We would say, oh, you touch the oven when it's hot. That's foolish and stupid, right? You're, uh, you, that, that, that's the way we use foolishness. But in the Bible, foolishness is very different. Foolishness is living like there's no God, living like you're central in all the world. When the Bible says foolish, that's what it means, when the proverb says foolish, that's what it means. So you would understand why, why would fools despise wisdom and, and instruction? Because that wisdom instruction is centered on God, and they don't want to live in light of who God is. The central part, what this whole pathway of wisdom is revolved around, is around who God is. Him as King and Father, and I joyful all of Him. And so, if you begin to take out the fear of the Lord from this pathway of wisdom and problems, everything's going to cave in on itself. I want to give you an analogy here to think about the solar system, okay? So, if you... Uh, a terrifying thought here, but if you remove the sun from the center of our solar system, what would happen? Well, interestingly enough, nothing for about eight minutes would happen. That's what the scientists say. It takes about eight minutes for the sun to reach the earth. So if that sun went out or went away, we'd have about eight more minutes of life. So we'd be just eat, drink, and be merry, right? We'd have no idea what was about to happen. But pretty soon, photosynthesis would stop once it gets dark, right? Within a few months, life on the surface of the earth would become uninhabitable. And then at whatever part that earth was rotating around the sun, as soon as that center of gravity is done, earth starts drifting away. It may or may not collide with something, right? And the point is, is that disaster wouldn't strike immediately, but eventually everything would come to ruin. And when you remove the fear of the Lord from this pathway of wisdom and try to do life without joyful awe at the center of it, and even if you try to do the Proverbs without joyful awe at the center, eventually it's going to come to ruin. It's all going to come crashing down. Because every bit of that pathway of wisdom was meant to be centered on God, on who He is and what He is. Let me give you a couple examples of this. This is really profound when you start thinking about it. And I want to give you these examples because a lot of us that come here believe that, okay, God's central, but we functionally in our hearts live a little differently than that. And I'll be the first to admit that. And so let me give you a couple of Proverbs. One is uh, Proverbs 13, 4. It'll be up on your screen. The slacker craves, yet has nothing, but the diligent is fully satisfied. So let's just say, let's think if self's at the center of your solar system, if, that, if the reference point of your life is whatever feels good, do it, then this isn't going to make any sense to you, right? Because the whole idea of floating by, being a slacker, is what feels good in the moment, and that's what I'm going to roll with. But God made the world 
to work in such a way that he is a worker and we're made in his image. So if you totally despise work and put it aside, life will eventually come to ruin for you, right? So it's not going to make sense to you unless the fear of the Lord is at the center. But let me throw you another, another angle at this. I like this proverb. I think it's good. I think it's right. I think God's at the center of the world. But on a functional level, I can, I can live as if achievement is really what's central. I fear achievement, not I'm scared of it. It means that can often be what I revere in life. And so what happens when I take this proverb? I love it. And I'll lead to overwork. And I end up craving and never having what I ultimately long for because I'm looking for it in the wrong place. You see, these problems aren't going to make sense to you, not just intellectually, but functionally they won't work in your life if joyful awe is not at the center. So what happens if the fear of the Lord is at the center? Well, then my significance is not found in my work, but found in my relationship with God as my King and Father. And so the joyful awe I have of Him moves me to work, not for myself, but for Him. And I can actually get pleasure from working then. Because it's not central. He is. And generally, life's going to work pretty well if you're a pretty hard worker. But you will overwork if something other than joyful all is at the center of your heart and your life. Let's take another one here. Proverbs 12, 16. A fool shows his annoyance at once, but a prudent man overlooks an insult. Well, self's at the center. You might think, I got a right to be annoyed because it's my world and you entered into it, right? Or, you might know that's not correct, but if joyful awe is not the center, it's going to be really hard not to lash out when you're annoyed by somebody or to get really offended at an insult because ultimately it feels good to respond in that way, right? And life doesn't go very well if you get annoyed and show it at everything and you're offended by every insult that comes your way. It's just not going to work out very well for you. I mean, we all can attest to that, right? Self at the center will not come to a very good place at that. But what about the fear of the Lord? There's a sense where you know that it's, there's annoyance, right? There's an insult, right? God, this is tough, but I humbly submit before you. I realize that you're so patient with me. God, you overlook most of my screw-ups, right? You don't correct me on everything that I do wrong. So I can overlook this insult. And the truth is, is that if that's really the pathway of wisdom you're leading, that, that you over, can overlook insults and you don't show your annoyance at everything that annoys you, life's going to go better for you. But you really can't live out that proverb unless joyful all is at the center. You see what I'm getting at here? This is critical. I think the lesson is this. We can intellectually believe that God's at the center of the world, and on paper, believe that. But if joyful awe is not the center of your heart, these proverbs are going to break down, or we're going to be very selective in how we want to apply them. We're only going to want to apply the ones that don't mess with whatever we revere. But the ones that do mess with what we revere, we're not going to want to apply them. And this is critical for us, especially if you go to church and especially if you think the Bible's true. You've got to understand you can't use the Proverbs to crush everybody outside the church. These things are for you and for you to recognize what's central in your own heart. And that's what the Proverbs is beginning with here. And so at this beginning of Proverbs, God is laying out for you, for us, the reference point for understanding all of Proverbs is that he must be central. We've got to have a healthy fear, a joyful awe of him to move forward. So where do we go from here? I want to give you two pieces of application for you. They'll be up on the screen just so you can remember them here. The first one is this, is that ask yourself this morning, what is central in your heart? 
Not only what do you believe on paper, but what has captured your heart. Are you captured by your king and father? Or are you captured by a relationship? Are you captured by your king and father? Or are you captured by getting your own way? Are you captured by your king and father? Or are you captured by your, your kid's success? Or your own achievement? Or money? Or comfort? What is it? Does a joyful awe and humility mark your posture towards God? We've got to walk away wrestling with that. But the second one is this, is that run to Jesus with your foolishness. So we had our high school uh, connect group this week, and I asked the question at the end. I said, you know, why would God put Proverbs 1-7 in the beginning of Proverbs? And there was lots of good responses, and Cooper Brummett probably said something that has shaped me and has been thinking, I've been thinking about it all week, very profound. He said, to remind us of our own foolishness. That's why it's here. Even the way I say the statement, to run to Jesus with your foolishness, that's assuming something that's true about you and me, and I'll be the first to admit it. We are a foolish people. And I don't want you to use Proverbs. I don't want you to gather in your connect groups to talk about how the whole world, if they would follow Proverbs, life would be a whole lot better. That connect group and Proverbs isn't meant to point your finger to others. God is coming after you and I. He wants us to see how bent we are on foolishness and rebellion. But here's the deal. Proverbs is going to reveal to you that there is a massive battle in your heart each and every day, whether you will live in joyful awe of God or for yourself. And so this isn't the self-help book of the Bible. It's going to challenge what you live for. And the book of Proverbs is going to point you to the Jesus that you need and that I need. We're going to go through these Proverbs. And I don't know about you, but I'm going to see a lot of sin in my life. And what do you do with that? Do you just get crushed to think God's after you? No, God is bringing Proverbs to say to point you to the cross. This is Jesus. You want to get joyful on your life? You look to what God has done for you on the cross. That he came for fools like you and I who are bent towards foolishness. And he endured the punishment that we deserve. And he, brought, and he did that to bring us back into relationship with him. Not to leave us alone in this world, but to give us this pathway of wisdom. Not to earn his favor, but because we have his favor. So the Proverbs are meant to point us and to make us run back to Jesus with our foolishness to receive his forgiveness and his empowering grace. And so Grace Church, we desperately need this pathway of wisdom. And this pathway is centered on our King and Father. Let's pray. Father, in one sense, we, uh, we, we live in this paradox that as we gather together, there is, it would be not true to say that we just are constantly living in foolishness because there are many things that are wise choices and decisions in our life. But we're a mixed bag. We also come before you broken and foolish people who've made a lot of foolish decisions, who think about life in a very foolish way. And when I mean that, I don't think we think about life like a child, God. We think about life apart from you. And you're wooing us through this book of Proverbs. And you're revealing to us our brokenness and struggle. And so, Father, we thank you that you don't leave us this book as a self-help book to figure out how life works. But you're coming after us. You're wooing us as our God and our King. And you want us to see your truth and your grace and to follow with you in this pathway. And so, God, I pray that as we begin this journey together, we would see that the fear of the Lord is central. Would you show us this morning what else is central in our life? 
And would you show us why, how, how amazingly much better it is for you to be central as our King and Father? Would you meet us? And even as we sing in response to about the beauty of what Christ done for us, would you lift our eyes up ourselves to see who you are? It's in your name we pray. Amen.